This is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full Time Travel. I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest today, Andy Levine, is the founder of Divine Cycling and Adventure Co., a luxury adventure bike tour company which focuses on life's simple pleasures. Divine takes small cycling groups through striking landscapes and off-the-tourist-radar towns, stopping to enjoy the finest food and wine, mingle with welcoming locals, and experience the uncommon moments that make travel meaningful. Since the company began over a glass of red in 1996, it scooped a Travel and Leisure World's Best Award and been named Bicycling Magazine's Best Food and Wine Cycling Journey. In this episode, Andy and I discuss how a post-college trip to Burgundy, France, inspired him to launch the business and why a bike is the best mode of transport for soaking up the moment and staying open to serendipity. Andy Levine, welcome to The Trip That Changed Me. Yeah, well, it's Levine, actually. Oh, sorry. So people call me Andy Duvine. Wait, so... So it's Duvine, but you're Levine. Yes. That was actually going to be one of my questions. But then when I heard that the company was Duvine, I assumed that, that was because you were Andy. Yeah. yeah well, people think Levine. I'm Andy Duvine. In yeah. France, they call me Monsieur Duvine. But the origi- the company started, it was first Duvin. I don't know if you speak French. Oh. I do pretty poorly. So <laughs> I started in Burgundy and it was Duvin because I was riding my bike through the vineyards. And so it was some wine adventures. Du, some wine. Yeah. The, Duvin. And no one could pronounce it. They'd call me up. Is this Duvin? Is this Duvin? I was like, every day I had to correct the pronunciation. Oh, man. I was like. Okay, I butchered the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so And people call me Levine Levine. So I said, Devine, Divine, Levine, Levine. It all sounds the same. <laughs> okay. So Duvin. <laughs> Andy Levine, welcome to The Trip That Changed Me. Thank you for having me. So yeah, I'm not a big cyclist myself, but I feel like a lot of people in my world are obsessed with cycling. I feel like maybe we get to a certain age and then bikes become a big thing. My husband just spent a really upsetting amount of money on a new road bike, which he has yet to actually use. But yeah, cycling's a big deal, I feel like, in the world at the moment. Yeah, I mean... It's really grown and it's changed. Yes, I mean, we can spend a lot on a bike and I have many of them. Yeah, these are called mammals, like these men. I don't know what that means, but these guys who Oh, really? Are, I didn't know all. there was a word for it. Well, there's a big, yeah, there's, you know, they does he have clothing too, like cycling clothing? Yeah, and, very tight. Oh, yeah. Does he <laughs> shave his legs? No, he hasn't gone that far yet. Well, I do. <laughs> but like we all look at each other and it depends on your socks, how you look. Cycling's, it's become, it's a huge fashion. It's sort of like, you know, you're into yoga and like, you know, the yoga pants and the yoga mat. I mean, cycling is a culture that's had a long history, you know, with what does your bike look like? When you show up for a group ride, like it's sort of like maybe Comparing. dogs in a park. They're all sniffing each other. Like, who do you <laughs> want to like get on? Whose wheel do you want to get onto? But I mean, that goes to also there needs to be the cool part of cycling that it's for anyone and you don't need to be overly hardcore. And that's, you know, what we're doing in travel. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't a big cyclist when I started. I was a guy who liked wine. Do how wine. Did, how did you start cycling? When did that interest begin? I started cycling when I was a kid. I remember I, you know, I had the Huffy. I had the, I had the little bike and I've always been a skier and a cyclist. I just wanted to ride my bike. I'd just be riding around the neighborhood. And then when I went off to college, I went to Colorado 
it was just starting mountain bikes. I'd mountain bike to class. I'd go mountain biking in, in you know, in Colorado, in the Rockies there. And I just loved it. It's just like, it's just playing. I like to play. And what so, did you study at college? Fresh powder and mountain biking. Uh, no, but <laughs> I studied philosophy and business. And, okay. um, you know, but... Uh, Interesting I, I, combo. I like I, it. I have nightmares sometimes that I, I just, I'm, I'm wondering like how I even graduated. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the mountains. You know, these days school has changed. Um, it was a great university, University of Denver. I loved it. I can't believe I got in. I, I studied, you know, I loved philosophy. I liked thinking. I liked, uh, but it never really got to an answer. So I just like talking about things and communicating. And I like sort of, I, I do like business. Um, but what I was, did you see yourself doing when you graduated? I had no idea. I mean, actually, I, I got on a plane. I graduated June 4th, 1992. June 5th, I was on a plane and I landed in France with my bike. And that's when it started. Wow. So did you have a particular plan for this trip? Uh, no, no. And the greatest things have happened with no plan. I mean, the, you know, I was very, when you're young and naive, I mean, you think you know everything, but there wasn't a huge plan. The plan was to ride my bike. And I landed in Bone, France. That's the head, Burgundy, the head of the vineyards, the Cote d'Or. It's amazing. It's just like, it's just a big slope of vineyards and uh, of all just Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And I landed there and I started just discovering the vineyards. Of I got interested in the Pinot Noir grape and the Chardonnay grape and just the complexity of it and riding my bike through it. And then, you know, seeing the real people working the vineyards, seeing these little villages, stone and flower pots and people, they wear French suit. It's a one piece. I love it. I have one. And they wear it in like with the hat and the cigarette in their mouth that's been there all day. It's, these are just visions that I still remember. And I was on my bike and there was no one, there was no, no American there. There was, and there's people really working and growing wine. And so I was like, I can be outside on my bike. And, and, and the huge thing was just smelling it. I, I had this, I could smell something. I could, it's called the terroir, the land. I could mm. smell the limestone. I could smell the vineyard. I could smell the grapes. I could smell the barrels. And I was like, it was just so overwhelming. And I was like, I was always an entrepreneur in college. I put on bike races, ski things. Whatever I could do, no one would ever come. I never made a dime. And I was like, I think if I build this, if I say come here and the internet was just starting out, I think they'll come. Was this the first time you'd done a big solo cycle trip like this? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I'd always do ski things and bike things, but this was, this was I was heading down to the south of France to a village called Cassis near, near Marseille, which I love. There's these Calanques and the Mediterranean, and I was just trying to head south. And I eventually had, you know, I got there, but a lot, a lot happened along the way. And I, I still say I'm, I'm still on that trip, you know. So, um, you know, you still have, you know, the open eyes and, and I love it every day. So, Did you already know a lot about wine before you went? No. I mean, no. I mean, you, le you learn wine is like art. Wine is like cy cycling. Wine. You have to put in the effort, actually. You have to taste wine to know wine. And I learned that there, you know, when we started growing the business that, you know, people would show up with these wonderful magazines, Wine Spectre or whatever it was, and, and they go, oh, well, this is a great rating, so this is a great wine. And I was always like, you know what, you need to drink the wine to, you know, articles are good, but you need to spend a lot of time drinking wine. And, and I was able to tell the difference when you do a lot, you can tell the difference between terroir and grapes and, and, and the method of the winemaker. Every single winemaker has a different story. And that was which was so interesting, complex, and confusing. You know, like, because wait, wait, you're working with Pinot Noir, but how is yours different from, you know, the fellow or the woman down the road? 
And it's a different method. It's a different terroir, the different lands, different slope, different sun, different weather, different climate. And, and so that was really cool. And I thought it was interesting. And I'm like, you know, if I can stay active and not be in a bus or in a car and like ride this on a bike and, and like sort of take people and it, it sort of was, it was cool. It kept, I was interested and I was learning things every week. So. Yeah. Lots of cities now have these public bike share programs, mm-hmm. which are massively utilized by tourists. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like I said, more people I know are doing long distance rides yeah. and really using bikes as a, as a way to explore. So why do you think that bikes are such an appealing form of transport when you're traveling and seeing a new place? Well, you can, you can, again, the census, you can smell things. I mean, you're so engaged and you're a local. Like if you're in a foreign place and you're riding a bike, and especially in these, you know, it was in Europe, a lot of people ride bikes, like less cars. People aren't trans. They don't travel like how we do here in the States, like long distances. People stay within their community. I mean, people there in Burgundy, you know, it's like they rarely went up to Dijon, which is 40K away. So so with the bicycle, you're able to be in their community and, and people, you know, it's more approachable. You you know, the greatest thing is just, I mean, the part about cycling, which I still love every, it's like stopping at a cafe. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happens over a coffee, over an espresso, over a glass of wine, it's just magic happens. I mean, people, their phones are down. Uh, you're in a village, you meet a local person, you order their coffee and you, and you connect. So that's, I mean, I think for me, I mean, my goal is to get everyone to travel by bike. I've loved it. Um, and it, I'm so happy that, you know, the rideshare programs that are happening in cities and, 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 and the hard part here, you know, is ha- hopefully getting cars to understand, you know, we all share the road. I'm not saying mm-hmm. all cyclists are great. I mean, uh, in Europe, especially, there's so much respect for the cyclist, which is great. I mean, people, I'm almost, it's almost too good. I'm like, please just pass me. <laughs> and they're behind you, especially in Mallorca. Mallorca, Spain is like the Mecca for cycling. And people wait for you all day long. I'm just, just pass me. But out here, you know, with the, you know, especially in New York here, you know, sadly, there are a lot of accidents. Um, and but the cyclists and they need to work together with the cars and the bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there, there's it's becoming better. But some people like in the countryside out here think they own the roads and, and it's tough for cyclists. But there are a lot of cyclists who actually don't ride well. So and the more cyclists there are, I guess, the more people will have to be, you know, um, car drivers will have to be aware. Well, I think it's growing. I mean, yeah. with the, so rideshare programs are turning to electronic bikes, mm. which are awesome. And that's even makes it easier for people. I, I personally think like in a few years, most bikes are going to be electronic, which mm. is a good thing. Um, there's Do you nothing, use them on your tours? I actually even commute with one. I, we use them. It's growing huge. And I think the majority of our tours will be e-bikes. And there's nothing wrong. It's not like oh, I want to do all the effort. The way they're creating these e-bikes are it's um, an equalizer and it's it's help when you need it. It's not a bad thing. I mean, it helps with keeping, you know, whether it's a husband or wife or whoever it is, maybe, you know, keeping them together. There are pluses and minuses. I mean, these are machines. Um, if you're not overly used to a bike and you do an e-bike, it can start to go fast and if you can't control it. So, um, you know, listen, I'm into change. Um, I, I, more people that are riding bike that can ride a bike is all good with me, whether you're doing it, you know, not with the electronic assist or not. So, but it's growing. So taking it back a bit. Yeah. When did the idea to start a luxury adventure bike tour company begin to percolate for you? Was it while you were on that trip to Burgundy? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, cause yeah, I mean, I needed to do something. I needed to try to, I never wrote a business plan. I still haven't. It was more like how can I stay out of trouble and, you know, feed myself? <laughs> so, I mean, I was staying in one-star pensions or gites, and I was always an entrepreneur, like I said. So 
I just like to, um, I like getting people together. So it was something that I was doing. I thought I was pretty good at it. I mean, I, I think that's one thing, thank God. I, I know what I'm good at, know what I'm not good at. I like getting people together. I like exploring. I've always been an explorer and a traveler. So, you know, I said, this, this can work. I was probably naive and cocky and, and thank God for the internet. I mean, basically <laughs> that's it because back then you needed to place ads or come up with a brochure or whatever it was. But uh, I just, I, you know, I sat, I sat around and, and did, did some work on the internet and, uh, and got some traction. So you threw up a web page and then started planning the itineraries? I just did one trip. It was in Burgundy, France. It was, you know, it was, it was du vin, you know, adventure, go through the vineyards on a bike. And I thought like, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I said, if I build this, they will come. But I, I sort of got realistic. I've always fortunate to have really smart people around me. And so uh, I always, I'm not afraid to ask questions. So, and I have a, right now, you know, at our client base, I can ask, I have such amazing guests and I always ask them advice. But back then, you know, some of my family and friends, I was just, I said, what do you think I can do here? And they're realistically, Andy, you'll probably put out six tours or five tours and you'll probably do four. And if you're, you know, maybe if you're lucky or you'll probably just do two. And um, I put out six dates. I remember they were like May, June and July and September. And and I and actually every one of those sort of had a few people on. The two people were the first two guests were from Michigan, and it was their honeymoon. And I was living at home with my parents. Oh. I just moved back from France, and I just needed a place to stay. And they called. They called this number or they emailed or I can't remember. And they said we want to sign up for a honeymoon. And I was like, really? And I said, okay, send a check because I don't have credit card. They sent me a check, and I said, I'm going. I bought my ticket, went over to France. So you were third wheeling on the honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I was like, yeah. So I went over two weeks before. I spent two weeks just keep kept on going over this route that I created. And then they showed up and I took it and I think they had a great time. And I was really nervous. You know, it was their honeymoon. I, you know, gave them the space and planned all these magical things. And, and it just kept on evolving. How do you give people kind of a more high-end experience? Well, you know, that's so to me, high-end is timing and luxury and love. I mean, so I just, I think attention to detail. So dealing always in foreign, you know, foreign places and hotels and restaurants, I have to rely on them. I like nice places and nice places didn't always have to be fancy. They have to have some character or like connection or something cool. And back then there were these little castles and like these wineries and, and the, and the, and the dinners would like you know, with these little restaurants. And I, I met a countess in Burgundy, Francis. She was, a, she was a countess and she was a winemaker too. And she was like 80 years old back then when I met her. And she was like amazing. I, just these little experiences. And to me, that was a luxury. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's what I was doing. And I wasn't saying this is luxury. It's just I thought it was cool. And so cool and exciting to me is luxury, you know. And it's also theater. Like I was like – I was like, this needs to be a show. I, I wrote some plays way back when in college and stuff like that, never anything. And so I'm into entertainment. So I was like, how do we bring like magic and theater while we're doing this on the road? And, uh, and I just tried to keep people engaged. Um, but when I started, it was way too much. Like I was always like every moment had to be exciting. And so I've, I've had to scale that down because not everyone's like me and crazy and wanted to be entertained every second. So it sounds like you're very good at making friends and meeting people in foreign places. I was good. Yeah. I mean, I was open. I mean, it was tough in France. I mean, I was 23 years old. I had long hair. I had bad French. And <laughs> I was, you know, it was, it was tough. I mean, in France, I'm, I'm able, like I, 
I think our guests like knew I thanked them, you know, for believing. Like every single time I was I was living in, in Bone, France, and I'd drive to the train station when I'd meet people. And they'd all say at first, oh, my God, we thought this was an internet scam. We didn't know who this Andy guy was <laughs> or Duvine. And they're like, we're so glad you're here because we're coming down the train from Paris. Like, what happened? Because this was when the internet was done. Like, what? This could be a scam. And so I was like, I thank them all for believing in this this internet and me. And and I led them. And so I respected them. And then the people I met, I just tried to keep cool relationships. And you have locals who guide your tours all over the world now. Yeah. How do you find these guides? And then how does seeing the place through their eyes enrich yeah. the experience for people? Yeah. I mean, we're lucky. I mean, every day we get guide applicants. So it's a funnel through a lot. Um, and so, you know, they need to have the passion. And, and there's people, thank God they're local. I mean, Listen, I was guiding them, you know, a kid from Colorado, Boston, like leading in Burgundy, France, and, and like, in, and I thought it was good. But the local people, when you can get people from the region, which is a majority of what we have, they're amazing. And we, it's a pretty hard interview process. There's many, goes through many managers, and then it goes to me. And I, you know, it's just like the question I ask is like, why, why is one of our customers or why am I going to want to sit at a dinner table with you? Like, what is the conversation? Good question. All, all this stuff happens like over you know, over a glass of wine or a coffee and, and the, you know, and, and then, you know, what are the little things you see? And you have to be super selfless. You, you can't, it's, we get, we get people who say, I love to ride a bike and I want to, you know, ride in France. And I'm like, sign up for a trip. You know, you, you want to work for us? Okay. That's no, you sound like a guest. So we say to our, we, when we do our big, we do a week, week or week and a half training every year and we, and we see new people that come to our training we're like they're acting like a client or they're acting like a guest you, you know because you there are people they just get you can get so lost in it all and you can just get so lost in the dinner and like and having fun on the bike it's a lot of fun so mm-hmm. but you have to remember that actually you're working it's a job and and you just have to keep on remembering like when I'm riding my bike and I know those moments I see like I'm in Tuscany or Corsican I'm like oh my god I'm working right now and like chill out this is so much fun so so yeah it's work though you gotta yeah. you gotta be you gotta be on it so and you do gotta you be think local. that one of the qualities that you look for is that sense of theatricality that you mentioned you know every yes you need something that je ne sais quoi or whatever you need <laughs> what is the thing you bring is it you know we have historians we have winemakers we have philosophers we have pro athletes you know everyone has to have that something you know a few have it all um but you need something um, and theatrics always helps. Um, you know, there's chefs, there's cooks. So everyone has their own special thing. And I say, dig into that. And I want you to be different. And you, I don't want you to be like someone else. There's something very special about you that I think our, our travels will dig. And so, you know, I, don't, I remember when I led it and, and I left it, I left my first tour to let other people guide it. And they were great. Like people, you let people do things. And, and, and there's a lot of ownership that guides mm-hmm. take. Guides are – and these are professionals. Guides, especially in Europe and in, in Latin America, they take their jobs very seriously, which is nice. While I was doing my research, I came across an interview where you said um, that an adventurer should pick you guys if they enjoy being part of a painting, a lyric, and a community. So how would you say you apply creativity to your itineraries and just the experience as a whole? Yeah, I mean – you need to find the small little touches. I mean, a lot of our travelers can have whatever they want. Um, you know, what's going on these days? I mean, people have planes and their own, you know, chefs and whatever. Like, how do you, 
how do you do those little magical moments? And I just think, um, you know, we have an opportunity, we have a canvas, we have, you know, the curtain opens and, and, and most people actually like to just connect and they want to be heard, they want to be loved. Riding a bike while traveling can be hard for people. You know, you're working your heart rate, you're maybe, you know, you're ahead of a, a big corporation or a home and like you're going up that hill and actually everyone's the same, like, and you're struggling and you're suffering. Like, how can you, you know, make them feel good that it's all good, you know, and, and you're in an uncomfortable different place. So you have to see these things and, and, uh, and being small, how I've always wanted our business to, you know, focus on, on people. I mean, I was just having breakfast with a past traveler and I was just telling him, you know, we, we have such an opportunity to be great. And it's all of us. I mean, people go on these trips because they want to be great, but we have the opportunity to like make magic happen on a trip. And, and I just think that's fun. And, and, and it's a shame sometimes, like, you know, you go to hotels, you go to places or restaurants where they're good, but like, what's the great? And we all remember those like little special touches. So like, that's what I'm into whenever I meet someone or go to a place or work with anyone or connect, like we all remember these cool little moments. Um, and if being in the tourism and travel industry and making trips, like when you can do that, um, and you have the option to do it, it's our choice. And, and like, I think why not? So that's, that's our style. I like it. I think most people, when they go on vacation, they have, you know, a base. So mm -hmm. whether that is a city or a beach or wherever they are, and even if they're traveling between places, they're usually in a car and, yeah. you know, they don't get to see these small moments and these, you know, the landscapes in person. And there's something about being on a bike that allows you to maybe be more nimble, like to hop off and go down a little alleyway, which yeah. a car can't reach, or like you say, stop right. and, you know, meet someone or have a coffee. And yeah, right. or, even get, or even get lost. Or get lost. Yeah. You kind of, yeah. it's interesting, this idea that, yeah, you're giving people this experience of between the A and the B. So even right. though you might be going from this vineyard to this other town, you're yeah. still, the in-between is still really part of the journey. I love that. Right. Yeah, I love it too. I mean, I wish more people would do it because, I mean, listen, there's, I, I go, I've been on a vacation and I went to Anguilla and I sat on the beach and it was beautiful. But right when I got there, I said, now what? What do I do for four days? And actually, that's what I did was nothing, which is important. And it was great to do that. But the majority, what I, you know, that's what more people do. I'm trying to convince or we're trying to, I, I don't know if it's convincing, we're, we're providing a product out there to really just um, cycling, traveling by bike is really cool. Like you said, these small little roads, these things that you will not see and, and just the connections with the people that you make, I think really enrich you. And um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the other ways to travel and, and more people do it than riding a bicycle because people think, you know, it's hard or it's going to, you know, we say at Divine, we're not a pain in your your ass. It, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it feels good, you know? So, uh, you know, cycling has changed. Like these days, there's so many different levels and ways to do it. And so it's comfortable. I mean, way back when, when I started, you know, the bikes weren't that great. And like, and it was a little bit of a struggle, but it's so easy now. And in, in, in the in the way we, you know, people curate it, they just make it, it's super, it's, I, it's, it's, um, it's really catching on. So. So for people who want to go somewhere and really connect with locals. Yeah. Do you have any tips for them on how they can do that better? Um, put your phone down, you know, uh, not have a schedule, like um, find, don't just read where people love to go. Like figure out what like is in your heart, like what you love or a village or a place that you maybe like and, and go there and, ex and explore. Like the greatest things happen when you don't plan. I mean, that's how I started to find. I, I didn't plan any of this. And, and when I went to a new region, 
again, like I wanted to be an artist. I want to do theater, but I, I couldn't do it. When I have, I'm able to go to say, when I went to the south of France, I just, you know, you have a map or you have an idea and you have to connect the dots. So, and, and magic stuff happens, you know. And, you know, uh, I'll never forget, I did a trip, I hitchhiked and I just put out, you know, my hand, I got picked up and some farmers picked me up and, and I worked on a farm for a weekend in Switzerland. It was unbelievable. I mean, people talk about it now. I told people like uh, a while back, they're like, what happens if they like kidnapped you and, <laughs> and did all this stuff to you? And I was like, I never even thought of that. Like I never, th I only thought that magic would happen and cool things would happen. So, so as a traveler, you just need to like throw all your stuff away and, and sort of um, just be open. And, um, and, and, and be willing to say hello. I was walking last night in the village and I tried to talk to someone like with their dog and people have their head down. I wanted to talk to their dog. And like, it's just interesting. Like you usually in New York, you can we'll talk a little bit to people, but it's nice when you, especially when like one, I'm an Aspen, I talk, everyone's saying hello. So it depends on the place, like you're in a place and it's nice to talk to people. And, you, and then you meet someone, a lot happens. when You connect and, and meet new people. I mean, that's how I've learned and grown. Obviously, good food and good wine are a big part of the divine experience. Do you think that Burgundy inspired that aspect or do you think that always would have been the case? Yeah, Burgundy is a super magical place, which is very simple and complex. Two grapes. That's it. I mean, yeah, there's a little like other stuff, some, but the Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay, and it's so complex how, how it tastes different from, you know, if you know, the, the Cote de Bone and the Cote de Nuit and every village, Gevray, Chambertin, like the, a wine from Gevray, which is a Pinot Noir to a Volnay is like totally different. And I could tell, you know, the difference between stronger and, and thicker and bolder to a, a velvety type of Volnay. So, so what that did, the complexity was like, it makes you really think that um, things that, you know, you're working with just one, you know, these two grapes and just how complex it is, there's so much to learn. So, um, you know, I just, it was just interesting every day. So if there's this much complexity in two grapes, like if we start traveling and then, you know, when I, you know, the wine world has grown too with cycling, which is awesome. I mean, I remember when I went to Czech Republic, people were like wine in Czech Republic and now wine is growing everywhere. You know, I mean, it's, you know, California's, I was a little bit nervous to, we do Napa and Sonoma and like, I just thought it was a little Disneyland, but it's unbelievable. So they're making some great wines and I love the wine. I love Noma. I love Napa. You know, I never thought wines from Corsica, the rosés there, they, you know, and, and especially the Spain, the culture in Spain with their wine, then Italy and Piedmont. And like, there's all different, there's, it's just a different language. Um, they're all working with the same, you know, with, with grapes and wine, but they, you know, there's so much history and so much passion. Um, and it's cool in Europe because these have been in families forever and, um, and they're not just making it for a quick buck. Mm. I mean, these are these are real old fashioned places that have never changed and, and, and people really dig it. I'm curious to know if yeah. you've noticed any particular grapes that produce more of a hangover. Oh, funny. You know, some sometimes like Proseccos and Cavas and stuff like that. Oh, like more yeah, you know. Um I drank so much Pinot and and um I sort of if I, you know, if you do one thing too much, it's sort of, it sort of irritated my stomach. It was a lot of acidity for me. More of like, um, actually, so we go to Japan now and sometimes um, sake can, uh, can give you a little bit of a headache, even though I love it. Maybe I don't know, so sweet or, or whatever it is, sweet stuff. But 
you know, I've I've toned down my drinking more. I'm, I'm more of that, you know. Yeah. I I I am trying to watch my weight, and I want to, you know, when you get older, you gotta when you wake up in the morning and you ride, you gotta be ready. So. Have you had any hungover riders on the tours? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> struggling all day. <laughs> people people are tough. I mean, you know, I'm not visiting all the tours. I'm sure people are. You know, we're not we're not a we're not a booze cruise. Uh, <laughs> I think you know it's tasting, and people always say, "How do you ride a bike and taste wine?" I'm like, I don't know. But spit it out. I mean, they had used to, they used to be these beautiful when I was in Burgundy or wherever in Italy, like the you know the rocks on the ground, mm-hmm. and you just you would spit it on their floor, and so it's tasting. It's not it's not a a, a beer hall or just, whatever. It's tasting, and when you taste it, you just put it in your mouth, spit it out. I just don't know if I could do that, Andy. I can't spit out good wine. <laughs> oh right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean most people don't. It feels After weird. While, yeah, I mean, so when when I was living over there and tasting all these wines, I was spitting a lot out. Yeah, yeah. I actually never thought about that. People, right? <laughs> they go over there, they're not going to spit it out. I know. So, can you talk us through? I don't think we've covered this yet, but can you talk mm. us through what an average day on a tour would look like? What time do you get up? What's yeah. the first thing you do? How does the day, the arc of the day, progress? Well, for the traveler, it it. You know, we want it to feel very spontaneous and free and not like camp. For us behind the scenes, we have a lot, you know, a whole thing that we want to we want to follow and places that we want to be and, and timing and whatnot. But I always think it's important to like chill out and enjoy your breakfast. There shouldn't be any crazy get up and go because there's nothing like a real good croissant and like mm-hmm. and, and like sitting on a terrace and hearing the birds and like looking at sunflowers and like enjoying a coffee like, ah. Oh, You know, that, especially these beautiful hotels. So enjoy that. Never hurry up and go. I mean, you'll see our team out there preparing bikes and filling water bottles and like, and telling you your route, but sleep and enjoy. But we do, it depends again on the time of season and the weather or whatever. So usually get cooking around 9, 30, 10. Again, that depends on where you are in weather. Um, And then you ride for like an hour and a half, depending on the tour, because we have four different levels. But I'd say average, you know, ride for an hour, two hours and then like have a visit, whether that's, you know, wine or olive oil or or goat cheese or or local or hard historian and lunch and then ride maybe another hour or so, two hours after. So you usually like, you know, an exercise three hours a day is like a pretty good workout. So again, it depends on the tour, but you got to like we we want and in, in, again, it's not camp. We want to introduce you to some of our friends in the region and a local person that can connect you to a place, you know, give that and then have a really nice lunch, which, you know, people like the simple stuff, farm table or picnics or whatnot, you know, and, and like a special. And we are able to do that because we're small. I don't want to have a big company. So you can go to mama's kitchen or somewhere cool for lunch. And then um, – and lunches have really changed over the days. I mean people don't want to eat a lot like, you know, fresh salads and light pasta or something or some, you know, fresh charcuterie. And then go back and enjoy a hotel like read, do a spa or go for another ride. There's options. So we just – we plan a cool day. You know, like I said, when I started way back when, I was always trying to jam every moment. But um, sometimes less is more and giving options. I mean every – people have changed throughout the years and they're always changing and – but I think we, if they, you know, I hope and I know they trust us so that we can pr- give a pretty good day that's worth your time. Mm. I don't like to say, like, this is a good value proposition. I think it's a worth. I'm going to make it worth your time. I'm not saying our trips are overly expensive or overly cheap or whatever. It's going to be worth your time. And it's all included. So, like, everything feels good. But it's also good to try to chill out and, um, and relax and have a conversation with someone. It sounds absolutely dreamy. I felt like I was there with you. Right. The yeah, you know, I mean, but, you know, things happen. I mean, really hard what we do. I mean, so every, 
to two people ask, who's going to be in my group and what's the weather going to be like? So what mm. I'm saying to you sounds dreamy. I see, I see. Right? Could but be I want to talk about the reality. <laughs> yeah. Like, so what do you do when it rains? I don't know. Like, put on clothing. Put on some rain clothing. But, you know, honestly, and, I, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up this podcast, weather is typically good where we're going. I mean, like, I, we do this new trip in Greece and Turkey and you're on a boat. And it's like, it's just, it's just the reason people love going there. The weather's magical. You know, Provence. Italy, like the weather is good starting like it typically, you know, starting mid-April through like mid-October. It's pretty darn good. And the sun is out and like these are long days and there's no real wind. You know, if you head into the Alps in the Pyrenees and Dolomites, different. But um, I guess it's all about packing smart and you must probably give people a packing list before they depart. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we give a packing list and all that. Most people are, most people are prepared. You know, most people are prepared. There's always like the percentage that are overly prepared and have too much luggage. And then there's other people who have no idea what they signed up for. <laughs> and, like, and they arrive and they didn't even bring clothing and whatnot. And a whole other thing is like airlines lose baggage and then mm. you have to find new clothes. It's like logistically what we're doing is pretty complicated. But uh, if you just believe in the process and have some fun and like and be open, I think um, you'll have a lot of fun. Do you have um, a particular tour that's your favorite one? Everyone asked me that, um, and I'm not politically correct or, you know, a politician. And uh, honestly, it depends on the season. Like, there's nothing like uh, the green of Tuscany in, like, April or May. There's just a green that, I mean, it looks like someone painted these fields of green. So, I mean, do I would I go in July? Yes, but things are burnt out, so it's different, you know. Sailing in Greece and Turkey, like, it's good in May, but it's a little bit – the waters are warmer in July. You know, like I think California is open 12 months a year, but would I prefer to go? So, I mean, I love it all. Honestly, I mean, but I am a guy who loves the Mediterranean, Adriatic. I love water. I love that blue water and I love riding my bike on sort of like a, a cliff little road and you're staring down at the Mediterranean and you have like a smell of the sea uh, and then you eat like a grilled white fish with like just some simple greens and you're drinking a glass of rosé. Like to me, I love that. I mean, I, that's what I have become. But I used to be like a dude who loved to ride through the Grand Cru village <laughs> from like Gevray to Nuit Saint-Georges and eat a caco vin and drink a big wine, you know. And that's so I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's all, you know, it's a reason I want to keep it small. So I love all regions, you know, I mean, and and I'll go to places and I'll be like, it's just not right. I mean, because I went to Azores. Which is this new destiny, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. San Miguel. So there's a bunch mm-hmm. of islands, but that's the most approachable. Um, I mean, it's funny. People always say, oh, this reminds me of that and that mm-hmm. reminds me of this. And I, I try to not do that. It's like, this is the A's. This is the Azores and it is what it is. But it's like it is a cross between a Maui and Ireland and Portugal all in one, like wow. with crazy weather, beautiful little roads and very simple. The food is outstanding, like top notch because it's such a small place and – and um, they're just doing it right. Uh, but it's, it's, still, um, it's still not overly ready in the luxury world. But to me, luxury, what they have, like I said before, they have the service, they have the connection, they have the style, they have, they have the love. It's just some of the hotels are just a little basic and it might not be for everyone. But you're having so much fun and it's so beautiful, it actually works um, you, if you have an open mind. Some people just like certain things. Yeah. So how do you scout new locations when you're thinking, okay, could we do one in 
Northern Africa or whatever. How, right. how do you decide where you're going next? Well, Northern Africa. I love Morocco. I just uh-huh. got back from Morocco. I love Marrakesh. Um, but it's interesting when you say that. So you got to connect the dots. So Divina has four dots. Bike, eat, drink, sleep. Okay. Is there good biking? Safe biking. Good roads like that are going to be enjoyable. Is there good food like that connects locally? Is there a really nice hotel or nice, like nice enough hotels and, you know, bike, eat, drink, sleep? You know, is there some sort of drink or concept or whatever? So um, I just need to find a place that connects dots. You know, where are all those things connected? So like Morocco, you know, doesn't have the greatest roads. They're getting there, but has unbelievable hotels and Mm -hmm. fabulous food and really cool cultural stuff. So like... That's a part. So we're Divine Cycling Plus Adventure Company. So we call it Divine Cycling and Adventure Company. So there's more of that plus adventure, you know, which you're going to get in a Peru. You know, like I love the Sacred Valley. Are there great roads? No. But are you seeing like stuff that'll blow your mind with little villages and really sweet people? Yes. Are the hotels amazing? These Inca Terras and Belmonds? Yes. Is there local grown food? Yes. So like it, you can't have it all. What has it all is your France, Spain, Italy. Home run. You know, yeah, ticking all the boxes. <laughs> yeah. So like scouting new, they have to have that stuff. So we're sort of limited because, you uh, you know, you don't, you, you know, a number one road cycling, is it going to be good? Because that's what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what we focus on. And my people say, Dan, I don't want to ride my bike all day. But we have that plus adventure. We, you know, you don't have to have to ride all day, but it's in, we want to get people moving. You want to be fit. So. so where do you call home right now? Boston, Boston, south end of Bo- south end of Boston, yeah. Um, when you're back there, do you cycle around? Uh, well, so I try to ride my. I got an e-bike. I I got nice. an electronic bike. I ride to work. I try to. Um, I ride. Yeah, I like to ride out of my office. Uh, we're in Cambridge, Somerville area, and I like to ride out to Concord. I try to do a two-hour ride when the weather's nice. Um, I love it. We have a great team. I love being in the office. I'm fortunate. You know, I. I love them. I mean, you got to, I try to treat them like a guest. I mean, I'm so fortunate that they come to work and however they get there, whether they ride their bike, walk or take a train and we work with really cool people. So I think they prefer when I'm out because <laughs> I can be a distraction. How often are you away? Well, I, I, I like to hit the road maybe two weeks out of a month. So, um, but there's so much to do. Sunday, I'm off to Maui. I'm going to ride in Maui, um, stay in Paia, which is super cool. Maui is an amazing cycling destination. Really hard um, because hilly. it's hilly mm. and there's weather aspect. There's really hot sun. There's some really crazy wind. There's really crazy rains. It can be hot. It's hard, but it's beautiful. Um, and then I have a few more other trips. It sounds like, yeah, a dream company and how, what a lovely thing to do for a living. What would your advice be for any listeners um, who are dreaming of starting their own travel tour company? Good question. I've had a few people call me and, you know, I really say, honestly, you need to travel. Hopefully you, you're young, like how I was, where I didn't need much. I mean, back then, you know, I, I didn't want much. I wanted to, like, be able to pay for my one-star pension and I didn't have big dreams. I, I wanted to know a place. If you want to start a travel company, you really have to travel. If you don't know your destinations, you can go to a travel show and you can buy tours and you could do it like that. So that's not how I say you should do it. Um, but you got to put in the time. I mean, it's hard these days to start. I mean, I, but it was probably hard back then for me. I mean, I think more now you would need some capital and money if you, you know, sort of marketing. But I would say start small. Like, what's your passion? What do you love? Like, if you maybe you love 
you know, China or Japan, go there and learn it and put it up. Don't quit your day job yet, but like really dive deep into it and start like I did. Do a few trips and you get it going and you learn. I mean, I'm still learning every day. You, you'll in this business and what's cool about travel and tourism is that things evolve, things change. There are new hotels or new restaurants or there are new ways of doing things or new ways to connect with guests. So um, whatever you want to do in any business, not just travel, I think you, you just got to do it. Um, but it just depends on, you know, your age and, and how much, you know, if you Mm-hmm. You know, like if you need money to live, right. that's the <laughs> problem. <laughs> Finances, flexibility, all yeah. those things. Right. So when you look back um, over the years, mm-hmm. how do you think your life would have been different now if you had never taken that first trip to France? I probably would have been an a, event planner. I, I think about that sometimes, meaning like I wanted to promote concerts. I loved, con- I loved concerts, uh, not just music, but I like putting on shows. And I we would have done better and made more money. And travel is <laughs> tourism is really hard, but I'm super stoked. I'm feel unbelievable blessed and whatever. But I like putting on shows. I remember I there was a, a company, there's you know, Don Law. It was like he I think he started Live Nation, which is now like I, I love the events and, and concerts and I and I wanted to put on concerts. I put on like these old back I put on these vaudeville shows, which ridiculous. Like I, I just told people um you know, I had people uh, send me resumes and I'd say, come and show up. And like, I rented theaters and no one ever showed up. And and the one time that I did okay is I created an underground film festival. And I said, and I put an ad out there in like a film festival magazine said, submit film $10 and you could be in my underground film festival. And the way I made money, people sent in these films with a $10. I said, you have to send $10. And, like, I kept on getting these films, but no one came when I had the festival. But oh, it's no. like I kept on getting all these people sending me their into And I was like, this is interesting, but. There's no one here to watch. There's no one here to watch it. So, oh. like, that's what I was like to do. But it was the same thing with Divine. I put it up and no one came, too. So, like, but more people came on the bike tours. And then I decided to stick. And when I was living in Europe, that's just what I stayed doing. Mm, I love it. Thank you. Well, Andy, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. I'm I'm fully sold. I'm not really a cyclist. I do spin, which probably sounds vaguely blasphemous to you. I have a I have a Peloton. <laughs> okay, great. You know? So maybe I could hold and my own with you guys listen, on a tour. Well, that's the main thing. It's not about it's not about like uh showing off or being fit. Like it you you're a traveler. Like do you like to, you know, meet, you know, do new things, meet new people, eat new food. That's what it's about. It's not about like how strong you are and whatnot. I mean, there are tours like that where you can show off, but really cycling is hard. I mean, everyone gets tired. I asked, um, uh, I'll never forget a pro friend. He's George Hincapie, big cyclist. And I said, George, like, how do I go faster in, and, and whatever? And he's like, it, in how, it looks like it doesn't hurt for you. It's like, it doesn't matter. Um, it's always going to hurt. You maybe will go faster but it's still going to hurt just the same. So don't worry about that. Like no matter what, everyone's suffering on a bike. If you're trying to do that, like do the suffering, but um, it's more about having fun. You know, we all, I've asked people like, why do you love to ride? And they're like, just it brings you back those childhood memories of just the freedom of cycling and the wind in your hair and, and smelling. And that's the most important thing of, of health and wellness and cycling is, is just enjoying yourself. That's exactly it. The freedom. Freedom. Freedoms that we need it today. Mm-hmm. Most especially. Most especially. <laughs> we need to get out. <laughs> get off your phone. Get on your bike. Listen to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
Before you go, I'd love to do a few quick fire questions with you. Done. So first of all, what's the one thing you believe every person should experience in their lifetime? God, it sounds so cheesy. I say do a bike tour. Um, <laughs> a random trip, you know, just no plan. No plan. Just get a bag and go for a weekend. I like that answer. Yeah. No one's given that one yet. Yeah, seriously, just no plan. Just say, be Let's open go to serendipity. Yeah, yeah. Or go to a restaurant you didn't plan to walk in. Yeah, don't, or, don't search on Yelp or TripAdvisor. Don't plan. <laughs> if you could teleport anywhere for the day, where would you go and what would you do? Uh, some reason the you know the uh, coast of Italy on the Mediterranean and have an octopus salad and a rosé. <laughs> I love that so specific. <laughs> grilled octopus. <laughs> grilled. Do you love grilled octopus? Grilled octopus and I love bread and I eat too much bread with some olive oil. Mm, bread and olive oil with some balsamic vinegar is right? the uh, thing. <laughs> What's the one thing you never leave home without when you're traveling? Uh, my Lululemons when I'm traveling. I like to feel comfy on a plane. I like my sweatpants and my hoodie. Mm-hmm. And I like to have a zipper in the front so I can put my phone and my ticket so I don't lose anything. I like to be totally or like when I it's like clipping in on a bike. When I clip in when I'm traveling, I want to be organized. I want to lose anything. And I like to be super comfy. I also bring an extra pair of socks that I a comfy socks like slippers that I wear on a plane. And then sometimes usually I throw them out because if I go in the bathroom, those things, but I like an extra <laughs> pair of comfy socks. Yes. I love to be comfy. <laughs> same, same. Do you have a favorite hotel? Do I have? I have a lot. I have a lot, whether they're big ones or small ones. Um, what comes to mind just randomly is um, like Crayon Le Brave in the south of France in the Luberon, which stares at my favorite climb, the Mont Ventoux. It's a beautiful stone French hotel with a pool and a, and a few, like three terraces, and it just like stares at this Ventoux in the Luberon Valley with lavender. And uh, it's sweet. It's nice. That could be great. I like Amman properties, you know. Um, Very luxurious. Yeah, and, and sort of zen and peaceful. Mm-hmm. I like – it's more about um, – and I love Four Seasons because I love their um, attention to detail I and how they know seasons. your name. Oh, my God. What happened once real quick in Marrakesh, I actually wanted some almond milk with my muesli and they, I didn't see it. And, and I said, um, can, um, I, can I have some almond milk? And they said, yes. They just said, and I was wondering, it took 10 minutes. The guy comes back and I tasted, oh, my God, this almond milk is amazing. Like, yeah, we got some almonds and we crushed and made almond milk for you. They made fresh almond milk for you? And I was like, oh, my God, God. I wish you told me I didn't want you to do that. But, like, (laughs) that's what I love about travel. That's what I love about hotels. And it doesn't need to be a big brand. But someone who listens, you need to listen. And if you get love, and, you know, that was five years ago. And, uh, you know, I respect the Four Seasons, what they do, and their attention to detail. So, um, but there's a lot of small little hotels, you know, La Reserve in Paris, oh, off the Champs-Élysées, how, like, chic and magical and small that is. And um, there's a lot of little small hotels that are family-run that are just so special. Favorite place and why? Uh, the Mediterranean. Just sailing out there, you know, and going from island to island. Uh, there's just a smell. I mean, I also want to say like Turkey and Morocco too. There's something. I love Turkey. Istanbul. Mm-hmm. There are the nicest people. Um, it's such. A, they have such a bad rap. Like mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's the most special place. I recommend everyone to go and support Turkey and Istanbul. Like I just, you know, there's a cross between so many cultures 
in that Bosphorus. And what happens, it's like a Paris and it's super magical. And uh, people are always so nice. And the food is amazing. Food is amazing. I the weather's love, beautiful. It's so lovely. I love the call to prayer. I love. Yes, me too. All, you know, and, and it's right. And it's just, um, you know, I love that. And especially being on the water. So mm. the island of Corsica, too, I've loved because no one goes there. It's very, it's great cycling. Um, it's just magical little roads, uh, winding roads, lost villages. Corsica is a huge hit for me. Do you have a top non-touristy thing to do in Corsica? Well, actually, everything is sort of non-touristy <laughs> there. I mean, there's one, you know, Bonifacio, which we don't even go and I don't go to. And it's a beautiful place, but that's where the tourists go. You just like little villages. Like you you arrive to these villages and there's always a little market going on. And it's just like – and these are real markets. These aren't – Foodie markets. Well, these are food, you know, soap, olive oils. But people – it's such a lost place, Corsica, that people need to go to these markets to gather things. And so like I've been to some of these villages and I'm just blown away. And I I was just like I wish people would understand where I am right now. No, it's just like – I was like I wish you were there like to see like how cool this is. And there are just – there are no – foreigners there really i mean especially on a bicycle and so these are like it's not touristy and you know i there's nothing wrong i, I don't do many touristy things i mean the only touristy i do love venice i mean <laughs> yeah. the amman hotel there and the uh cipriani and venice is cool because but you got to be careful of your time but well corsica is going on my bucket list now thanks for that one. Oh, um, huge. <laughs> um which destination are you hoping to visit this year that you've not been to before more of like Thailand and Indonesia, so stuff like that, Vietnam. You know, there's more to explore in Portugal too. Like Portugal's like a big hit. Mm-hmm. There's a new Sixth Sense hotel in the Douro Valley that is just – the Douro River Valley is amazing. It's, it's got all these vineyards and, and a river and it's got everything you want and it's – but it's still young, infant. And a lot of people go into Portugal and it's growing. So there's more work to be done there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I think Indonesia and Thailand, these things, these places are calling to me. But Thailand is my favorite place. I've been there like maybe eight times now. So if you need Thailand tips, I'm your gal. <laughs> we need that and we need a guide. Yeah, I know we're doing a new trip and uh, it's awesome. awesome. And so we're, you know, um, there's a lot of things to do. It, that's me personally. I don't know if that's for divine, but, uh, you know, there's uh, – but you can also have so much fun in your backyard. I mean, there's mm-hmm. still things about Boston that I'm trying to get to know. And, and, and we have to be careful of being a creature of habit, you know, of like what works. Because like, again, like I said, magic happens when you go off that script and, and, and just always keep your eyes wide open. Totally. To, and be open. Hometown know? tourism. Right? I mean, I haven't been out here in Brooklyn and, and it seems so cool. I just went to this bakery across. It's like so authentic. What a great bakery. It's real <laughs> hometown. Like so many different breads and – snacks and uh, it seemed really authentic awesome your love of travel is infectious andy thank you so much for joining me pleasure happy to do it again If this interview had you feeling inspired, you can learn more about Duvine Tours, including new trips to Sardinia and Sao Miguel in the Azores, by visiting duvine.com. You can also find the company on Instagram, at Duvine, or follow Andy's personal account, Divine Andy, to see where he's headed next. Before you go, I want to introduce you to our on-staff travel advisor, Chelsea Martin. 
She's an affiliate of Embark and Virtuoso, and she's also a travel influencer in her own right. You can find her on Instagram at Passport to Friday. In this segment of the show, which I like to call Ask a Travel Advisor, Chelsea and I spend a couple of minutes discussing the ins and outs of her work. If you're curious about the kinds of perks she can score for your next trip, pay close attention. I'll also pick her brain on travel trends, tricks, and tips. Chelsea has been everywhere and knows everything about travel. Okay, Chelsea, how do you build relationships within the travel industry? So living in New York, I'm lucky that a lot of hoteliers and travel partners come here. So that's why it looks like I'm kind of all over the place all the time because I really am. I mean, just having meetings with different hoteliers or attending events that really give us an inside look into the brand and into what they're selling, but then also traveling and going on site to these places and seeing firsthand and really getting to know the travel partners and seeing the hotels that, I mean, especially when you get to know the family behind a family run hotel and you get to see their day-to-day life and them in the town that they grew up in and that they've built this property in and the pride behind it and everything. I think that's just so valuable. And then I do attend a lot of travel conferences as well. And yeah, I don't know. It's a great community and we're all so supportive of each other. And I think at the end of the day, that is what strengthens a travel advisor compared to just booking online is that we have these relationships firsthand with these hoteliers and travel partners who will go to bat for our clients and give them the best experience ever. It does seem like a pretty dreamy job, I have to say. Um, It is amazing. What do you call the trips that you go on? What are they called? So a lot of them are, we call them for short fam trips, but the word is familiarization trip. Ah. So a familiarization trip really is showing us the dust, not only the hotels that we're staying at, but the destination and the different things that we can offer our clients. And so that when we get home and we're booking that destination, we can say firsthand, like, this restaurant was amazing. You need to order this dish or you can't miss this. Like it's, it really just gives us a better look at a destination as a whole. I only just learned that um, people from the movie and TV industry also go on these fam trips. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. One of my friends is a screenwriter out in LA and she was like, yeah, sometimes they fly, places fly me out and show me around a destination because oh. they're like, you should shoot here. Yeah, <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah. What's the coolest perk you've ever scored for a client? For me, I think the biggest thing that clients really appreciate and I appreciate as well is when we can get them an insane upgrade. So, for example, in Santorini at Canavez, they upgraded one of my clients. I think it was a quadruple upgrade to a honeymoon massive suite with a plunge pool that was overlooking all of Santorini and um, also in Puntamita, the Four Seasons upgraded a client from basically an entry level room to a one bedroom suite, beachfront suite. And yeah, it's just the opportunities are endless. Is that because they have this, the room open and they know you and respect you? So they help your client, they give your client an upgrade. Is that how it works? Yeah. So because we have the relationships mm-hmm. with the hoteliers, if they know that the client's celebrating something special, they have the availability, they're like, why not? Of course, we're going to upgrade them and give them a special experience. That's amazing. Is there a piece of content, a show or a podcast or a book that you'd recommend as entertainment on a long haul flight? 
Like, what are you listening to and reading right now? I'm watching. <laughs> I know you love podcasts. Yes. So I, I love podcasts. Um, on a long haul flight, I do usually use as my time to catch up on movies because I don't watch them at home. But sometimes I'll do it with a twist. So, for example, if I'm going to a certain destination, I'll try to watch a movie that's based there. Or, I mean, this is probably a bad example, but I don't know how many times I've watched like Notting Hill on my way to London just <laughs> to get me in the mood. But alongside that, I like to also read books about the destination before I go or whether or not it's a nonfiction or a fiction book based in that destination kind of just gets you in the mindset for podcasts, I could talk for days because I love <laughs> podcasts. But so for wellness, I love Mind Body Green as well as the Goop podcast. And then my friend Rachel Mansfield, she recently launched a podcast called Just the Good Stuff. And I love listening to that as well. For keeping up to date with everything going on in the world. And I think especially as travelers, it is a responsibility of ours to know everything that's going on in the world. So I usually start my days by listening to BBC Minute and then NPR News Now and then skim this, <laughs> get a few different viewpoints of things. That's amazing. And then I listen to The Daily to get kind of a more in-depth look at certain issues going on. And then I also recently, I was like, I need to know a little bit more about finance. So I've been listening to Snacks. So they have either Snacks Minute, which is just a few minutes long, kind of get to know like the different things going on in the stock market or just anything finance focused, but in a fun kind of millennial approach mm -hmm. or they have snacks daily, which is about 15 minutes long that goes more in depth with everything. So I've been loving that recently. It's a lot of podcasts to listen to in one day. Do you listen, <laughs> do you listen, listen to them, them I think all day <laughs> while you're answering emails and stuff? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a tough one to answer, I'm sure. But what is the next Tulum? Ooh, that is a tough question. I can think of a few places, but um, I would say Holbosch, which is actually near Tulum mm -hmm. to sort of like you st still could fly into Cancun Airport. I think that's kind of the next destination that offers a lot that Tulum offers and it's really up and coming. Um, no bohemian. cars are allowed on the island, I know, I love which that. is so awesome. It's kind of bohemian and vibe, yeah. a bit yeah. more chilled. And there's flamingos, I think. Oh, wow. I yeah. didn't know. I that. really want to see flamingos <laughs> in the wild. That's what, Let's go. I don't know why I'm fixated on that, but yeah. I really want to. Where's your favorite hotel for a staycation in NYC? Well, so much is actually opening in New York, which it's a unique time because I feel like there's obviously a lot of the classics here, but there really is a resurgence of new hotels here. So at the end of the year, there'll be an Amman, Six Senses. But right now, I think one place that would be really cool for whether or not it's just a couple's getaway or a girl's getaway is actually the new Equinox Hotel just because it offers such a different experience from what you would normally get. So you can go use the gym. They have a lot of wellness focused activities and you can, there's a rooftop pool. The food and beverage there is healthy and amazing. And you can also explore Hudson Yards and whatnot. Um, and then a personal hotel that I've always wanted to stay at, and I don't know how I haven't yet, is the Greenwich Hotel. Because for me, I feel like I would just check in, have an amazing meal at La Conde Verde, cuddle up with a good book, go explore for a bit and come back and you just have this beautiful decor and cool vibe. And it feels like a little hidden oasis. Mm -hmm. Love that. 
If there's a burning question you'd like answered on Ask a Travel Advisor, you can send us a note on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. Alternatively, you can write to Chelsea directly at chelsea at fttadvisor.com. That's chelsea at fttadvisor.com.